If you have your Bibles, take them and turn in them to the book of 2 Thessalonians. We're going to continue to uh, work our way through this book together, and uh, we're going to be looking at um, verses uh, 1 to 5 of chapter 3. And uh, it fits well with our theme of thanksgiving this morning. There is so much to be thankful for, and, and Paul outlines or notes a few of those things together. So if you're just joining with us, um, uh, hopefully you'll get some of the context um, of what Paul is responding to when he gives us these uh, words in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 of Second Thessalonians. So let's read them together, or you can uh, follow along as I read them, and then we will spend some time uh, thinking through them. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will establish and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. In these verses, I have found, I think, four reasons to be thankful. And out of those four reasons to be thankful, each one of them deserves a response or um, comes with a response from our heart. I don't know if you think that through, but if you receive a gift, one of the ways that you demonstrate your gratitude for that gift is to look after it. Um, we are thankful for a spouse, and one of the ways that we are thankful for a spouse is that we love them and that we care for them and that we respond to them. We are thankful for dinner, so we help with the dishes. It's Thanksgiving after all, isn't it? And that's one of the ways that you can show your gratitude for the cook and the food by cleaning up after dish dishes or dinner. We're thankful for a home, and so we look after it. We take care of it. And so true of these things that we're going to look at in Scripture, things that we are thankful for, they require or they ask for a response from us this morning. And so you will see them. Paul has shifted quite significantly as he comes to uh, chapter 3. In chapter 2, he's been talking about some pretty heavy things. He's been talking with, about a lot of doctrine. He's been talking about life that we live now in light of the future to come. And he's been talking about some doctrines that are difficult for us to wrap our heads around, a doctrine of judgment, a, a just God about suffering and affliction that comes our way. He's been telling us about the uh, work of Satan in our world, that there's a powerful energy of Satan that's at work in our world, the strong delusion of God that's at work in our world, the calling and election of God that's at work in our world, the increase of lawlessness that is uh, happening in our world, the the expectation of the final lawless one. And there have been heavy things for us to wrap our heads around. And I think for any Christian living in uh, that sort of reality and hearing those things, we can be a little disturbed. We, we can be a little anxious if we're just left with doctrine. And so Paul moves from doctrine, from sort of a teacher's heart now to a pastoral heart. And he wants to help the people to live through that and to work through that. How do I live in the present in light of all these difficult things, in light of these difficult doctrines, in light of these difficult realities? How do I live? And that's where he picks up then in verse 3, and he says, Finally, brothers, I don't think we should consider that as finally in, in the sense that this is the last thing, but rather finally in the sense that besides everything else, besides all that I've told you, this is now how you can work this through in your day-to-day -day life. 
This is how you respond to these particular things that are coming your way. Not as this, this is his last word of advice, but this is, as I say, as far as the rest is concerned. He says, I want you to respond to the thanksgiving, the things that God have given, given us in certain ways. So the very first thing that I think Paul notes there is, says, I will give thanks that God is a God we can pray to. I will give thanks that we can pray. Are you thankful that you can pray? Do you, ever, do you ever work that through in the head? We had a few people that expressed their thankfulness that God hears and that God answers prayer. It's fascinating that that's how Paul begins this, this note of practical um, word to the people. He says, pray for us. And it's not just a suggestion, it's an imperative that he gives to this young congregation that he needs their prayers, that he solicits their prayers. And it's not just pray for us sort of once in a while, it's in a present active form. So the word means continue to pray for us. Don't stop praying for us. Whenever we come to your mind, pray for us. It's a wonderful thing that Paul is expressing here. He's saying, I've never arrived. I never come to a point in my life where I don't need prayer. There's never a point in your Christian life where you can do without prayer, where you've got enough strength, you've got enough energy, you've got enough wisdom, you've got enough insight into the world around you where you don't need prayer or you don't need people to pray for you. This is one of the amazing things that we recognize here with Paul. He is thankful for the prayers of God's people. And behind that assumption, uh, or behind that ask that, that people pray for him is an assumption by Paul that prayer matters that prayer works, so to speak, in a pragmatic way. He realizes that prayers don't just hit a wall and bounce back to us, that we pray to a living God, that we pray to a living God who not only hears our prayers, but can answer our prayers and respond to those prayers. I was spending a, a bunch of time sitting in a field yesterday and just working through my sermon and just figuring this out in my head and just rehearsing why I'm thankful along with Paul. And as I thought about prayer, I thought the, the magnitude and the breadth of prayer is substantial. We, we saw last week that we can pray to God because he is our father. And as our father, he knows our needs. He knows what we need even before we ask him. He's attentive. He's compassionate. He's loving towards us. We pray to a God who cares for us as a father cares for us. But there's another end of that spectrum. I, I was reflecting in my head of, uh, of the disciples when they were released from prison and they went back to the house of people that was praying for them. And then when they finally got lit in, they led them in prayer and they began their prayer this way. Oh, sovereign God, who made the heavens and all that is in them, who made the earth and all that is on it, who made the sea and everything in it, we thank you. And do you understand that when you go to prayer? That not only do you pray to a father who loves you and knows what you need, but you pray to one who is powerful and mighty and whose words have set this world in its place and maintain it in its place. He is powerful. There is nothing that he cannot do for you. There is nothing that is impossible with God. Prayer is not just speaking to the air. It's not just sort of a self-catharsis, so to speak. It just makes us feel better about ourselves because, oh, we're in need, so I'm just gonna speak a few words and I, that makes me feel better. Prayer is not to an unknown God. Prayer is not to a deaf God. Remember the prophets of Baal that were trying to get their gods to answer them and send fire down from heaven. They had been praying all morning. They were cutting themselves. And finally, Elijah comes out to them and says, well, what's the matter? Is your God sleeping? Is he preoccupied? 
Can't he hear you? They prayed to nothing. They prayed to something that couldn't help them. Some people set out food for their gods every day and they come back the next day and all the, all the food has not been eaten. It's just been gone rotten and they replace it the next day. Their gods can't hear them. Their gods can't act on their, on their behalf. We pray to a living God. We pray to a God who hears. I was reading of Solomon's prayer when he dedicated the temple when it was just finished. And it's a fascinating prayer. It's worth your while to read it in 1 Kings chapter 8. These are just a few snippets from it. As he stands before the people and he dedicates this new temple to God and a temple which they realize cannot contain God, but which God's presence will be represented here on earth. He says, yet you have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays, prays before you to this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of the people, Israel, when they pray towards this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And again and again and again throughout that prayer, he acknowledges that God listens from heaven and responds and answers our prayer. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people, Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. Loved ones, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that you pray to a living God? Do you believe as Solomon prayed that when you pray, God hears your prayers? And do you believe that not only does God hear your prayers, but he is able to work on your behalf and answer those prayers? That is something to be thankful for. That is massive in the life of a child of God to have that conviction. I am so thankful that God hears our prayer. And Paul, I'm thankful that he demonstrates a dependence on that. He doesn't say that I mentioned earlier that I've arrived. He realizes that personal giftedness isn't enough to be effective. Personal giftedness isn't enough to do the work that God has called him to. And so he calls out to this group of people to pray for him. He actually does that so often in his letters to the churches that he writes to. And so when you think of leadership in this church and when you think of the missionaries that we've sent around the world, I hope that you recognize that they need your prayers too. They need your constant prayers and we'll see why in a couple moments here. But we, we, realize, we need to realize as those who lead you that our giftedness is nothing without the power of God. That in fact, it's not giftedness that matters, but it's the energizing of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. It's the power of his word that goes out that matters. Do you also see the reciprocal balance that's here? Just a few verses earlier in chapter two, Paul says, I give thanks often for you. And then he lists the reasons that he's thankful. Paul prays for this church, this young church, but then he says, now you pray for me. Prayer is not something that is relegated to those that are really mature, those that have learned Christian jargon, so to speak, even. Prayer is something that any child of God can do, whether you are four years old or whether you are 40 years old or whether you are 94 years old. Prayer is not limited to men or women. Prayer is not limited by how long you have been a Christian. 
And this is why Paul, when he writes to these young believers in Thessalonica, they had been Christians for maybe months. And he invites them, he calls them in to call out to their God and his God on their behalf. And do you see what he prays for? There's two things that Paul asks for prayer. He prays there for the success of the message and for the safety of the messenger. That's what he prays for. He doesn't really pray for, ask for his personal needs. He prays for the success of the message that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored. That's what matters, loved ones. That's what matters is that the word of God make its way into the hearts and lives of people that hear it here, of people that hear it on our live stream. When our missionaries go out in Turkey and Ethiopia in Thailand and, and up the coast in the coastal mission, that as they speak, they will speak the word of God and it will speed ahead and it will be honored. Paul recognizes that there is opposition to the word of God. Paul recognizes that there are hearts that are closed to the word of God. There are people who choose not to believe the word of God. And it's not simply a personal choice that they choose not to believe the word of God. There is a powerful working of Satan, he says, that comes with all kinds of false signs and miracles and all kinds of wicked deception that piles onto their own heart and their dead hearts. And there is a strong delusion of God. And what is gonna break through that power of Satan? What is gonna break through that delusion of God? What is going to break through that hard-heartedness of the people, but that the word of God runs swiftly and be honored? I think this notion of the word of God or the gospel, that it may speed ahead, probably people look at this as Paul is in Corinth right now, and there's a, the games that took place constantly, and there's all kinds of athletic competitions and as they looked at this group of runners, they would speed ahead and there would be no obstacles in their path. There would be no hindrances in their path. There would be a track that they would run on. And just as Paul was envisioning those runners speeding ahead with purpose, he says, may the word of God speed ahead. May it go unhindered. May it not find obstacles. Pray, loved ones. That as the word of God is preached here, as it's taught in Sunday school classes, as it goes across the world through our missionaries, pray that that word of God will go forth unhindered. And pray that the word of the Lord may be honored. Do you understand what Paul is saying there by the word of the Lord being honored? How do you honor the word of God? You believe it. You accept it. You submit to it. If, if you want to know how you can honor the word of the Lord in your life, obey it. Believe it. Don't fight it. Don't oppose it. And so what Paul is saying is that as they preach the word of God, it will go forth into the hearts and lives of people and it will change them. It will bring them to a point where they, where they, where they confess their sins before the Lord. The word of the Lord will always accomplish its purpose. Isaiah says, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and we do need rain, by the way. It's okay to pray for rain. We've had a good long stint of this sunny weather, warm weather, and I know there's some of you who say, well, then I don't have to go to the States and I save money, but we need rain. And so he says here, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed. It shall succeed in the thing that I sent it. Here, what Paul has in mind specifically 
is that it will succeed in bringing people to repentance. In fact, in Acts, he says, Luke writes, and when the Gentiles heard the word of the Lord, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God, honoring the word of God. How? As many were appointed to eternal life, they believed. So Paul's not only concerned about the speedy running of the word of God, but he's desirous that it be honored in people's life. And then he says, notice, as it happened among you. They experienced that effectiveness of the word of God. You can go back and read chapter one, and there Paul says, he says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's what we want to see happen as the word of God is proclaimed here and around the world, that it would go forth with power and that it would go forth with the fullness of the Holy Spirit and conviction. He says, you know what kind of men we proved, we proved to be among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word. That's honoring the word. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you, that's the word of God being honored as it came to them. And so this is what Paul says, pray for us. Oh, we need prayer for a lot of reasons, but Paul says specifically, pray for the success of the word of God. Pray that people will honor the word of God and be saved. And then he prays for the safety of the messengers. Notice what he says, and pray for us, brothers, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honors as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Do you understand what he's saying there? There is opposition to the messengers of God's word. They face all kinds of opposition. He's focusing specifically here on opposition that comes from without. As they go into places where people don't like the word, where people are hostile to the word, where they're hostile to the messengers of the word, pray that we might be delivered from them. Some of you know that. Some of you know that hostility when you go to school and anything Christian is mentioned and the, the pressure that you feel, the mocking that you feel about it. Some of you face that when you go to work. Some of you face that when you go even into your own homes. You know the pressure and the persecution and the opposition that you receive. And so Paul realizes that, that as he goes out into the world, there's not just the hardness of, of men and women's hearts that he's dealing with. He's dealing with satanic opposition, satanically inspired lies, people that are promoting those lies. And he recognizes that not all have faith, not all are warm towards the gospel. And so this, these messengers will face hostility to the word of God. He says, wicked men, those that are morally out of place, those who are wrong-headed, those who have rejected the message, evil people, those who are just downright against God's messengers and God's word. Paul prays in a, another place that asks that they might, he might be delivered from unbelievers. In another place, he says that my persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I have endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In another place, Paul speak, or God speaks to Paul and says, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. 
In another place, Paul zeroes in on one person and he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. It's not all roses being somebody who proclaims the gospel as you probably have experienced, but as those that go in the mission field where they don't have a church family necessarily, they don't have a church around them, we send them out and we send them out to be our messengers uh, on our behalf. Pray for them. So the gospel can speed ahead. So the first thing that Paul notes here, he is thankful for prayer. And our response then to that thankfulness ought to be prayerfulness, right? If we're thankful for prayer, then we demonstrate that thankfulness by being men and women of prayer. Secondly, he's thankful for the Lord's faithfulness. In verse three, he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Do you think about the faithfulness of the Lord? The Bible writers do frequently. Again and again and again, they make declarations. God is faithful. The Lord is faithful. God himself reminds the people, I am a faithful God. You might be faithless, but I will remain faithful. We often sing with great gusto, great is your faithfulness. Oh God, our Father. We believe that, don't we? We believe that God is a faithful God. It matters to us, does it not, that God is not a hit and miss God? That God's faithfulness is not sketchy? That God's faithfulness is not hit and miss along the way? Do, do we not come to depend upon God being faithful? To never let us down, to never let us go, to never leave us alone, to always respond to his word, to listen to our prayers, to honor his promises? Isn't that what our faith rests in, is the faithfulness of God? We can pray for the success of the word then and for the safety of God's messengers because God is faithful. But Paul brings that down to the level of the Thessalonians and he says, now God is faithful for you as well. He, rem he remembers that they live in a hostile environment. He remembers that they face affliction and persecution. He remembers that there's this battle that they're in, that, that the God of this world is at war with them. He remembers that the evil one wants to harm them and hurt them. He remembers all of this and so he prays for them. And he prays for them that in God's faithfulness, he will strengthen them on the inside and he will protect them on the outside. It's like a, the, the word that he uses for strengthen you on the inside is steridzoi. It's, it's from where we get steroids from. It's, it's give you strength in the inner person to remind you that because of God's faithfulness, you can rely on him. You can count on him on the inside. He won't let you go. But then he also prays and reminds them that not only does God strengthen them on the inside, but God protects them on the outside. And why? That God will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. He will guard you. He will keep you safe. He will prepare a table for you in the presence of his enemies. As Paul said, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which he's entrusted to me. The psalmists frequently call out to God, protect me, preserve me. Psalm 121 is a beautiful psalm on the protection of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul is talking about his desire to initially come to the Thessalonians. He says, again and again, I wanted to come, but Satan hindered us. 
In another place, he says, I sent Timothy to hear about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. We looked at a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned here that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. We need to be protected from the evil one's attempts to deceive us. Paul says in another place, take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of who? Of the evil one. And what did Jesus pray? Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Isn't that what we would all like sometimes when the pressure builds and the temptations mount and we feel like we're getting hit on all sides in our faith? Wouldn't we just, God, take me home? I pray that too often probably. That's my, that's my hope of escape from tough times. But Jesus says, no, don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. Aren't you thankful that God is faithful? And in his faithfulness, loved ones, he will keep you. He will protect you. He will strengthen you. I must admit, I have times at night when I'm falling asleep, when I think about my grandkids, and I worry for them. I do. I, I, I wonder, what is this world coming to, and what are, they, what are they entering into? I worry for my sons and for my daughter-in-laws. I think, how are they going to make it? God is faithful. He will strengthen them. He will protect them from the evil one. This is one of the best things you can pray. This is one of the best things that you can encourage yourself with. And so Paul says, I am thankful for the faithfulness of God. And the response then from us is be trusting. Do you trust the faithfulness of God? Do you trust that God will strengthen you? Do you trust that God will protect you? Do you trust that God will strengthen your five-year-old? Do you trust that God will protect your five-year-old? Yes, because God is faithful. Thankful for the Lord's commands. Are you thankful for commands? And you growing up in home, were you thankful for the commands of your mom and dad? And that's maybe a strong way to put it, but from the orders of your mom and dad or the laws or the rules and regulations of your house? We ought to be. It's those commands that preserve us. It's those commands that protect us. It's the commands that come from wisdom. Our, our parents know so much about what life holds and they're doing the best to protect you and to preserve you. And God who made us knows perfectly well what we need. His commands are for our good, not for our harm. His commands warn us. His commands direct us. His, his promises are, are, are attached to our obedience. Aren't you thankful as well that what the Lord commands, he enables? That he doesn't just leave you on your own. He doesn't just say, I want you to do this or I want you to behave like that. Now go to it. No, do you notice what Paul says? And we have confidence in the Lord. We have confidence in the Lord that what God commands, he will enable you to do. What the Lord commands, he will strengthen you to do. Believe that, trust that. God will never ask you to do something that he won't enable you to do. God will never put a, 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 a directive in your life that you won't be able to obey. Because Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord about you.
This, read Psalm 119 if you have time this week. Psalm 119 is, is the psalmist's beautiful, beautiful response to the word of God, the laws of the word, the commands of the word, the testimonies of the Lord. Again and again, he responds with affection. He responds with the desire that God teach him, that God keep him, that God preserve him in the word. In a number of places, he expresses his love for the law. He says, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. Do you love God's commands? If you don't love them, you won't desire to obey them. If you don't love them, you won't see their beauty. As a child in your home, as a young person in your home, if you don't come to love and appreciate the fact that your parents love you enough to give you commands and boundaries, you won't want to obey them. But as you know that they love you, as you, as you learn that their commands come from a heart of love, you will lovingly obey them. And God's word is perfect. You can read about its sufficiency in Psalm 19. You can read about its universality in, in Matthew chapter 28. You can read about its help in, 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 from Joshua and uh, Psalmist in Psalm 1, how they delight in the word of God and they will meditate on those words day and night and God will direct their paths and make them successful. Again, just again, notice. When you are up against a command and you think, I can't do this, and cry out to say, God, help me. God, enable me. God, give me the strength. As I was lying out in that field, I was praying and I was just thinking through different people and different scenarios. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 came into my head for just a number of people that I'm praying for. But there, he talks about the fact that God is faithful. There's this notion of the faithfulness. God is faithful. It starts with no temptation is overtaking you that is common to man. And I thought, thank you. There is no supernatural temptation that I face. There is no demonic temptation that I face that is, that is unique to me, that is special to me. But he says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such that is common to man. And then he says, but God is faithful. Now remember that when you're tempted. God is faithful. And how is he faithful? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able so if you ever come to a situation in your life and say, I've got to give in, I've got to sin, this is just too strong, this is just too powerful for me, then there's something going on in your head that you've forgotten that God is faithful. You believe God has lied. You believe God isn't faithful. You believe that God can't do what he promised. No, it says God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And so I pray that for myself and I prayed that for others as I was out in the field. God, help them see that you will never allow that temptation to exceed your ability to help them through it and to sustain them against it. And not only that, but he will also provide a way through it. Do you believe that? That is the faithfulness of God, that when you face a temptation, no matter how powerful, no matter how strong it is, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but also in his faithfulness, he will provide you a path through it. Lord is my shepherd and he leads me in paths of righteousness. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Are you struggling with obedience this morning? Then maybe one of the things is we just need to change our attitude and rather be angry at God for all the directives he seems to give us and the laws that are there. Rather have a heart of the psalmist say, I love your commands, O Lord. I love your testimonies, O Lord. I love your statutes, O oh Lord. Enable me to keep them.
So thankfulness then for the commands of the Lord should lead to a heart of obedience to those commands. So Paul's thankful for prayer. He's thankful for the Lord's faithfulness. He's thankful for the commands of the Lord. And then finally, he's thankful for the Lord's heart work. In verse 8 or verse 5, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I wasn't able to express in, in a single word sort of the response to the Lord's directing of our heart. But I think what Paul is getting at, he's, he's, he's getting at that in response to God directing our hearts, that we would grow, grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, grow in our understanding of the love of God, grow in our eyes upon Christ who endured for us. And so God is, Paul's reminding them of a need that's met through the work of the Lord again. Obedience is because he's confident that God will help us. Here we need the Lord's heart work so that we might grow in an understanding of God's love for us and the endurance of Christ for us. It's really quite a, a beautiful picture here where Paul reminds them that there is a need met through the work of the Lord in our life. This notion to direct or, or in our hearts is a word that means to make straight or to remove obstacles or hindrances. So what Paul is praying for, he's saying that, that God would do a work of clearing, of clearing a path, of, of working through the fog of our hard-heartedness or of our half-heartedness or of our rebellion against God or even our broken-heartedness. Sometimes we are so sad, so afflicted, so overwhelmed that we, we can't get by that to see God's love for us and to look at Christ's endurance. And so Paul prays that, that the Lord would do a heart work in them, that God would direct their hearts, that, that he would open their hearts to see what? What does it say? To see the love of God. Paul, this is about the third time that Paul has mentioned this in this letter. So I'll say it again. Do you know the love of God? Do you experience the love of God? Do you know that God loves you no matter what you have done? Do you know, God, do you know that God loved you before you ever did anything right or wrong? Do you know that God's love is an everlasting love? Do you know that God's love will never let you go? If you don't, you need a heart work from God that will help you grow in the breadth and the height and the depth of God's love for you. This is how we make it through a tough world. This is how we make it through a world of affliction. To know that my Father loves me no matter what I face, no matter what I'm going through, He loves me. Oh, love that will not let me go. How deep the Father's love for me. If you don't feel the love of God this morning, then pray for a heart work. Pray that the Lord will remove those obstacles and those hindrances that are stopping you from getting through to the understanding that God loves you. And then he prays furthermore that not only that our hearts would be cleared of obstacles to appreciating and knowing and experience the love of God, but that we would know something of the steadfastness of Christ and that that would be an example to us. I believe that's what Paul is saying. 
know, that we, when we face affliction, and you will, when you face suffering, and you do, when you go to a hostile word, and you will. Don't think I can't do it. Don't say to yourself, I'm not going to make it. Don't say to yourself, no one's ever faced what I do. No, no, look to the steadfastness of Christ. Fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith who endured the cross. Say, no, Christ is my example. Christ did it. Christ trusted the Father and the Father preserved Christ. The Father brought him home. The Father raised him from the dead. The Father gave him all that he promised he would give him. May the Lord direct your hearts, clear the obstacles in your heart from seeing the steadfastness and the patience, endurance of Christ. Oh, may you grow in your focus on the endurance of Christ. He never wavered. His trust and submission in God was complete. He endured hostility. He walked with joy. Do you know something of the love of God this morning? Do you know something of the patient endurance of God this morning? Then thank the Lord for his hard work in you. And so, fourthly, Paul is thankful for the Lord's heart work, which then should lead to submission on our part to that work, to a teachableness on our part to that work. So as I said, thankfulness leads to a response. I am so thankful for prayer that God hears and answers. Therefore, I will pray. I am thankful that the Lord is faithful. Therefore, I will trust him at all times and in all things. I am thankful for the commands of the Lord. Therefore, I will obey them. I am thankful for the Lord's heart work. Therefore, I will be submissive to his leading me in the love of the Father and the endurance of Christ. Oh, my soul, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. There is so much to be thankful for. There are physical things and things that we enjoy in this physical world, but there are also spiritual things. May our hearts rejoice in the things that Paul points out even this morning, these four things. And may they fill our thinking at some point in these next few days, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.